I believe today. I really do. And it's not because of me, believe me. I, I feel so unworthy and so little unqualified for the message that he has given me. And I argued with him. I said, God, this is too big of a, of a subject to allow somebody who's not well-versed or well-polished to, to, to deliver this. But nonetheless, he rebuked me and he said, I thought you said you wanted to get out of the way. I thought you said you wanted to let me talk to my people, help them. So I submitted. If you have your Bibles, I would ask you to to stand for the reading of the word. And uh, if you got your Bible, turn to the book of Revelations, chapter 20. And we're going to start reading in verse 11. And uh, if you've ever preached or taught or anything, Brother Caleb, Brother Josh, uh, Brother Stokely, you might, you might say, your first time you're going to preach on book of Revelations? That's what I said to God. And he said, be quiet. I gave this to you. You asked me to do that, and so give it. So I'm going to do my best. So let's read. Let's read here in the book of Revelations, chapter 20, verse 11. We're going to read all the way down through the end of the chapter, which is only down to verse 15. So, And it says, And I saw a great white throne. This is John the Revelator who's writing this. God has given him a revelation of future things to come. All through the book of Revelations, we read about uh, end-time prophecies and so forth. And he's talking here about the very end. And he says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it. From whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and the dead and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every, I want to say every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. That is eternal. I want to just add that. It was cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Let's pray and ask God to just bless and touch us and move us today. Lord Jesus, we thank you, Lord God, for this 
day that you have given us. We thank you for this word, Lord God, that we can come in and read and to to understand, Lord God, you, Lord Jesus, for you are the word. You said in John 1 1 that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. The word was God. And Lord Jesus, you gave us this word. You gave us this book, Lord God, to read that, that we might understand things, Lord God. And I pray that you will help us, Lord God, help everyone who's here today, that we would, Lord God, open our ears to hear and receive your word today. And I pray that you bless these lips, Lord God, that they speak your voice. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now, if I'm going to give this message a title, I'm going to I'm going to actually call it Is My Name Written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Not a question anywhere more important than that, people. Because it says here in the last verse, verse 15, that whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. That is the second death. You see, I want to I wanna just briefly mentioned some of the the key points in those scriptures that we read. And I'd like to actually give you a little visual. I'm going to move this pulpit. If I could get uh, you guys to help me. I'm just going to move this here. I want to move this. I love how Pastor has been using some illustrations and visuals that helps us to understand and get a, a little, little bit clearer look at what he's talking about. And I just thought it would be good today to just give a little illustration maybe. And could you bring Pastor's chair? Just bring it right over here. Set it right here. I'm going to move these waters that I'm not going to use. Thank you for bearing with me just a moment. It says it's a white throne. We're going to make it a white throne. Now, this is, this is in the book of Revelations. And, you know, one thing about, you know, the book of Revelations, a lot of people are scared of reading the book of Revelations. And they think, I can't understand it. I don't, you know, how, how do we know? There's so many interpretations of what it's saying and all that. And I'm not going to get into those things today. That's not what I, my intentions. But, but I think he gave us. The book of Revelation is just the same as he gave us the book of Acts. He really, he gave it to us for a purpose. 
It wasn't something to just ignore and say, well, we'll never understand that. He wouldn't do that. He would give it to us. So he wants us to understand it. And in this last year, I will say, I spent a lot of time, which I'll bet you did too, thinking about end time things. You see, I'll bet every one of you were constantly thinking in your mind, Where are we at in the end time? What's going on? You're looking at all the little events and you're trying to see if they match up with the Bible. And that's good because you should. Because, you see, in in Jesus' day, when he was on earth, the Jews should have known that he was the Messiah. If they would have been in their word and, and knowing what it was saying and seeing the prophecies of old in the Old Testament, they would have known. They would have known. So it is critical for us to understand I don't think we should be overwhelmed and consumed with knowing future events and so forth. But I think we need to know the day and the hour which we live. And like I said, I I was, uh, you know, in this past year, man, it was like just crazy. You know, I, I was talking with Pastor and I said, you know, the only thing I can, I can really, if I'd put it in one word, I would say chaos. The world is in chaos today. You know, and Jesus, when, when his apostles or his disciples would ask him, you know, because well, he told them, you know, that he would come back. And they would ask him, what, what will be the signs? How will we know when that's going to happen? And he, would, he told them, you know, things. One of the things he told them was, it will be as the same as it was in the days of Noah. So I thought, well, I'm going to go back into Genesis and read about the days of Noah. Well, there's not a whole lot really in there. I mean, there there's the story of Noah. But it, briefly, some of the chapters re- leading up to the story of actually the flood and so forth, it talks about how man had become so evil. They constantly were, were just thinking about themselves, a, 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 a me society. I think we're a pretty close to a me society. Everything is for myself, for my good. Is it going to help me? So, so in 2020, I, like I said, I, I was looking at it and I was trying to figure out God's timetable. I mean, you know, I tried to uh, uh, see. There's, there's different beliefs. I want you, uh, most of you have heard of these terms called uh, post-trib, mid-trib, and pre-trib. And those are, are uh, ways you, you to describe when the rapture of the church would go out of out of this earth to heaven with God. It says they will meet him in the clouds. That's what it says. That is, it's the rapture, the, the taking away of the saints. And so there's a belief that it will, that we will go through the tribulation period, which the book of Revelations talks about a seven-year period. And I don't want to take a lot of time in this, but but there's seven years of, of things that happen. And there's Many things it mentioned here that will happen in those last seven days. There's, there's some things that Jesus uh, gives his apostles, telling them how you know that, these, that even that is getting close. And one of those was he talked about the fig tree and how the, 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 it would start to bud. And what, it was, what that is really saying is talking about Israel or the Jews coming back after being dispersed. It was... 
it was prophesied in the Old Testament that they would, the Jews would be uh, obliviated and basically spread throughout the world. And they were. We know that from, from World War II, the Hitler, and even before that. And they, they've been persecuted everywhere. But in 1948, they came back and, and actually a nation was formed. That was the fulfillment of the prophecy that Jesus said that, that bud, that the tree, the olive tree, would begin to bud. God has favor on them. God has favor. So we, we look at all these things, and, and, and like I said, we live in a world of chaos. We live in a world of, I mean, when I think about the election and all the, the ads and the, the bickering and stuff, Deception is everywhere. Deception, lying. Unbelief. You know, another one of the big things I think I get out of the COVID thing is I don't believe anything. I don't believe the doctors. I don't know. I don't believe, you know, what they tell me at work most of the time. it's, It's like we have become a culture now of really we're just going to believe we're going to believe because everybody's lying to us. That's how we feel. And, and he says that that will happen. That, I want you to know, that happened in the days of Noah. They were so consumed with themselves and with pleasures of life that they had no room for God in their life. And that's why God was so angry with them. He, he wanted to destroy them. And so he did with a flood. He saved eight souls. He saved Noah and his family. That's it. I was going to look up and try to figure out if anybody has estimated how many people were on the earth at the time of the flood. Does anybody know and have an idea of that? I'm sure it was a large number. There have been many generations that made it up to that point. But anyhow, so, so we live in a world of evil. And I believe we live... In the midnight hour, the last hours. I talked about the post-trib. You know, some believe that, that the church will be raptured out halfway through the, the, the uh, seven-year tribulation period. Because it talks about the halfway through the three and a half years. Some people believe that it will be at the pre-trib. It will actually, God will take his church out of here before any of those awful things happen. Any of them. And I hope so, because I don't want to go through that stuff. I tell you what, the first century church did. God didn't just protect them. They went through it. They struggled. They died for it. So we don't know. We could be in the tribulation right now. We might be halfway through. We don't know. Jesus said, no man knoweth the day nor the hour. They asked him specifically. And he said, no man. It's not for man to know. So if you try to pinpoint a day... You know, I'm going to say you, you're, you're false because it says no man, no man knows. In my, uh, not only in my reading of my Bible, but in my study of just trying to look at facts and look at things that's going on in the world, I came across a study or a survey that was done in, actually it was done I think in 2014, was published in 2015. But it was a, a it was a study done by churchpew.com or something like that, or at least they published it. And it was a study 
that asked, they did just adults. They asked adults, 18 years and older. And they had a very large number that they asked. They asked them, do you believe in a heaven and a hell? And I think that's a fair question. You and I, you and I have probably pondered that question ourselves. Every one of us at one point. So it's a fair question. And the result was, out of all of those adults, 58% of the, the people that responded said that I do believe in a hell. So out of all the people, there was what? 42% said they don't even believe it. Heaven, that same group of people believed, 72% of them believe that there is a heaven. So more people are tending to believe there is a heaven, but not a hell. In other words, they think there's better things to come, but there is not this oh, damnation and torment that everybody's talking about. They just don't believe that. And I'm going to tell you why I think the majority of people, and this was a study done just in our country, and I'll have you know, this country was founded on biblical principles. Our founders all came from church-going families. They, they came to this world because they wanted religious freedom. They wanted to be able to worship like they wanted. They were tired of the Church of England telling them how they had to worship. And so they, they came here to have freedom for that. And now we live in a society that 72% of us believe in heaven. And only 58% of us believe in hell. These are two things that are, that are so basic to this Bible. If you don't believe that, you are in bad shape, in my opinion. Bad shape. So, so then they break it down and they, they showed Christians, people who don't fill out the survey, they marked, I'm a Christian. 70% of the people who were Christians said they believed in hell. So that's a higher number. I'm glad of that, but it astounds me that 30% of the people who say they're Christians don't even believe in hell. 30%. 82% of that group said, I believe in heaven. Age, this one here hit me hard. Age 18 to 29, the youngest age group. 18 to 29. And this one, they only gave, uh, how many of them believe in hell? They believe that there's going to be a hell or that there is a hell, and that someday you're either going to go to heaven or hell. But 21% of the people in this country believe in hell. That's, man, that's scary to me. That's telling me that somebody is not getting in this word. Somebody is not getting preached from the pulpit. Somebody is not going to church, perhaps. But this is a generation that is being lost to the very core essence of what this book is about. And then there was another one more that really caught me was, was a group called Parents with Children Under 18. Now, this is the parents. And this one, I couldn't believe this one either. 
31% of them believe that there's a hell. That there's a hell. Only 31%. When I read that, and then I seen another study that talked about even preachers. And they was talking, they, they, it was all beliefs. And the, the number of preachers who no longer preach and teach on heaven or hell issues, or heaven or hell, they don't even mention it. It was, it was like over 50% said that they don't even teach it anymore. And out of those that don't teach it, the, the percent of those who don't even believe it was, it was like, I can't even remember now, it was, it was like 25 to 28%, something like that. Don't even believe it. And, and they claim it to be God's mouthpiece talking to his, his people. They're deceiving. Just like Jesus said, they're deceiving the world. Deceiving you. They're, they're keeping you from, from knowing really what's ahead, what's coming if you don't do something. I love that illustration that it, there in the book of Revelations that it gives us of what we have to look forward to someday. Every one of us. I'm telling you, the book says every one of us. There'll be a white throne. There'll be a white throne in heaven. And it says one will sit upon that white throne. And it doesn't say it in that scripture, but it does in some others. And that will be Jesus. Jesus will sit on the white throne. And there'll be, it says, there will be the books. The books. And the books will be open. And I put the books down here. These are just some books, that, big books that I could find. And uh, so it says that the books will be open. So I, I, I love to have an illustration that you can see that will show what we're talking about here today. But when I read this Bible, and I believe everything in this book is true, it is never, I mean, scientists continually all the time try to discard and, and prove it wrong. And they can't do it. You know, they come up with something, and they say, ah, this does, this proves it wrong. No. A couple years later, that theory is blown out of the water, and yeah, well, but in many, many instances, even throughout the Old Testament stories, they're finding, you know, proof that these stories are right. That they are exact. So, so when it comes to me thinking, is there a heaven or a hell? I have no doubt. It talks about it in every book of this, this Bible. It talks about it probably in the majority of the chapters. It is the key thing that we are striving for or trying to, to avoid. We need to keep it on our, on our minds. Heaven is real. Hell is real. I want to say there's one story in the Bible that really gives us some insights as to some of the things that are in hell and few things that are in heaven. And then I'm going to talk about just a little bit about some other scriptures, and I'll give those scriptures if you want to look them up. But, but of things, you know, all through the Bible that uh, where it talks about 
heaven also. And what's in heaven or not in heaven. And this story, we're going to go to the book of Luke. Chapter 19, or chapter 16, verses 19 through 31 is this story. And this is the story. You've all read it. You've all heard it. Yet, when I went through this, and I listened to some preachers who had taught on this, and, and, and I picked up, I gleaned a lot of new things from it. And it was, it was just, I just loved doing that. But we're going to read this. Sister Christy had them scriptures. And so let's, let's go ahead and read that. Starting at verse 19, or verse, uh, yeah, chapter 19 of Luke. I'll just read it from off there. It says, and there was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And one thing I want to point out here is this story is written in red letters. If you have a red letter edition, it's red letters. Jesus is telling this story. Now, some Bible scholars want to argue and say that this is not necessarily a true story, that it is a parable. And Jesus taught a lot in parables. But there's one thing in this story that, actually, there's a couple things, but one of the things is it says a man's proper name. Parables never do that. They always talk about, and and this one does talk about a certain man, and I'll get to that and explain why he does. But he, Jesus is talking about a story that actually happened. He's going back in time and pulling out a story to teach the people that he's talking to. So so he, he said that there's a certain man, or a certain rich man. Now, I said the rich man, it doesn't give it a name, a proper name here, but it does, does the next man. And the reason it does is, is because if you are not in right standing with God, you have no name with him. You have no name with him. The Bible says in the, at the end, at the white throne judgment, he will say, depart. I never knew you. He doesn't call him by name and say, you're going to hell. You're casting the lake of fire. You don't have a name. So a name is very important with God. Verse, uh, I'm going to go back. It says he was clothed in purple. He was clothed in purple. See, purple was something that that showed that you were royal. It said he was a certain rich man, and he was clothed in purple. In other words, he liked to flaunt and show off that he was somebody. You know, that's that's really in our nature to to want to make people think think something of us. That's just that's just the way carnal nature is. It says that he he wore fine linen. Something that was comfortable. Oh, he liked it. What he had was comfortable to him. We live in a society who constantly wants comfort. And there's nothing wrong with that, really, if, if you have the money. And then it says that he fared sumptuously. In other words, he had everything you could ever want. 
He was a rich man. He had it. Maybe he was born into uh, his riches. I don't know. It doesn't say. But he was a rich man, and he fared sumptuously. He had everything at his disposal. And then in verse 20, it says, it says, and there was a certain beggar named Lazarus. Now, here's that proper name. Lazarus is in this story. It says, which was laid at his gate. He was laid at the gate of the rich man, full of sores. So Lazarus uh, is that certain beggar, and he was laid at the gate. He, he apparently was an invalid, couldn't, couldn't, you know, they said they laid him there. So he couldn't even get around. I'm sure the, the rich man probably despised having someone like that at his gate. I mean, he had the nicest house in town. And all this guy was doing is like having the homeless guy park at your gate every day. And I'm sure he was not too pleased with Lazarus as when he lived on this earth. It says he was full of sores, Lazarus was. He had a rough life. He had much pain and suffering. But I believe he served God anyhow. In verse 21, it says, And desiring to be fed, talking about Lazarus, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. You see, he was just surviving, just getting by. That's all he was doing. I mean, he didn't ask for for a sandwich. He just said, you know, I just want to be close enough to take out, when you take out the garbage, maybe I can get something. That's all he asked for. Verse 22, and it came to pass that the beggar died. It is appointed unto man once to die. If the Lord tarries, every one of us will die. Every one of us. It's the curse on the earth. We, We will die. So the beggar died and was carried. When he died, it says, he was carried by angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. Okay, when the the beggar died, when Lazarus died, the angels came down. This this excites me, if you're living for God. This excites me because he didn't just die and was just buried, but rather the angels. This says the angels. This, This actually changed how I viewed, how I was probably taught as a child, really what happens when we die. You know, there's a scripture that says that we sleep. And I always thought, you know, we'll probably just be asleep and we'll wake up and there'll be the white throne of judgment. But in here it says that this rich man died or that this beggar died and the angels came and carried him away to Abraham's bosom. And you might ask, well, what is Abraham's bosom? We're talking about heaven and hell. Abraham's bosom is what in the Old Testament you would say was, was like a... Uh, Jesus spoke of it on the cross as, as like paradise. It's believed that Abraham's bosom is where the dead would go, the dead in Christ. That's where they would go. It would be a place of comfort, a place of, of, uh, of resting, a place of good things. But it wasn't necessarily the new, new Jerusalem. But it was a place of waiting. And if you read, if you read throughout this Bible, you, you see where Jesus, when he died... It says he actually went back and he, he took them and took them to heaven. 
I found that very interesting because I'd never been taught that. So the rich man also died, but he was buried. He was just buried. He had no angels came to his rescue. He was just buried. He says, we go back to the earth, back to the dust. Okay, verse 23. And in hell, he lifted up his eyes. This, this certain rich man finds himself in hell. And he lifts up his eyes, being in torments. And seeing Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. You see, this rich man, he dies. He's had everything in life that he ever wanted. He had the good life. But I tell you what, it does not buy you heaven. It will never buy you anything. So forget about your money. Be generous with what God has blessed you with. You're not going to take anything with you. This beggar had nothing. I'm sure he, he was probably clothed in rags. He was nothing. Just like the, the preacher said yesterday, he was the, the lowest really on the totem pole. But when it was all done, he was the one the prayed was about. He was the one that they were, that everybody was shouting about because he made it. It says, and the beggar and the, the rich man lifted up his eyes in torment. I tell you, there is torment in hell. Contrary to what this world believes anymore. The majority, we just read, a lot of them don't believe in hell. They don't believe there's a place of torment. They don't believe that there is a judgment that's going to be like that. God is too good. People, the flood happened. I am sure there was good people. But only eight obeyed what God asked them. It says, and, and he seeth, this rich man, he seeth Abraham. He seeth Abraham afar off. It says he, and he cried and said, Father Abraham. You know, that right there tells me this certain rich man was a Jew. He was, a, he was someone who grew up in church. He knew the law. He knew it. He would have had to have gone every, every Sabbath day. He would have had to have studied and understood the scriptures. But yet he wakes up and finds himself in hell. How could you... How could you be so blessed to be in the family of God and still find yourself in hell? How can we, how can we get so far from that? And he it says that he sees, he sees Lazarus afar off in Abraham's bosom. You know, I think one of the biggest torments that the people in hell will have. Because it talks about it several times here. That they will be able to see what's going on in heaven. They will see what they missed. What good things those, ha those people have who are in heaven. 
It'll be torment. It's constant torment. So in hell, he lifted up his eyes in torment. And he sees Abraham afar off. And he says, Father Abraham. And he sees Lazarus. Not only does he see Father Abraham, he sees Lazarus there. This man that he despised. A man that he, he tried to probably keep him away from his house. Didn't want to touch him. He had sores. He probably had leprosy. Who knows? So, so he was someone that he didn't want to deal with on earth. But it, when he was in hell and he seen Lazarus in heaven and had, Lazarus has all these good things, he, he, he's going to change his mind here. So in verse 24, it says, And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. He's in hell and he's asking Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus. Send that poor beggar that I didn't want nothing to do with. Now I need him. He said, send him that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. You see, it is so hot, so bad in hell. There's no water. The very basic thing that we have for life here is not in hell. There's no relief. No relief. Send him that he may tip his finger in the, in the water and cool my tongue. For I am tormented in this flame. So there's flames in hell. There's flames in hell. Now I want to I stop here just for a minute. And, and, and just what else does the Bible say about heaven? Or about hell first. Let's look at hell first. And then we'll look at heaven. So what is in hell? Well, according to Matthew 5.22, it says that there's flame. We just read it there in Revelation to talk about flame. And it talks about it many times. There is flames in hell. There is brimstone. You know what brimstone, scientists say brimstone is? It is sulfur. Exactly. It is what comes out of the earth in a volcano. It is the hottest elements on this earth. It is, it smells, it has, it's sulfur, it stinks. Hell will stink. It will be misery. In Revelation 14, 11, it says there's torment, there's unrest, there's smoke, there's smoke everywhere. There's weeping. According to Matthew 13, 42, there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. I tell you, there is chaos. And there is, there is everything that wants to just destroy you, but yet you can't be destroyed. Matthew 8.22 or 8.12 says, there is outer darkness in hell. And I find that fascinating because there's flames. There's flames, but yet it is so dark. Outer darkness, it says. In Matthew 5 and 30, it says that there will be bodies. So they will have a body in hell. It's not just a spirit that's being tormented. It's a body. It's physical pain. Mark 9, 44 says, in the actual verse says that the canker, that the, the worm dieth not. And I thought, well, what in the world is a worm? And I heard a, a very good explanation of that. 
And I've heard it from several different preachers. It said that the worm that is speaking of there is what they would have described a brain looking like in that day. You think about a brain, it looks like a bunch of worm, big worms just balled up in a ball. And it says that the, that the worm dieth not. So you, you have your memory. You have your thoughts. You, you remember what you had and what you could, could have, could have had. Do you never lose that? And then we look at those who are there. They're, they're in Matthew 25, 41, through so many scriptures, we know Lucifer, Satan, is there. We know that his angels are there, his demons, uh, satanic spirits, all these horrible spirits. In Revelation 20, verse 10, it says that the beast and the false prophet are there. These are specifics that it says are there. Now, that's not a proper name, but it is they are there. In, in Luke 16 and 19, it says that the rich man is there. The certain rich man is in hell. We know these are in hell. Well, I want to tell you, hell was created by God for Lucifer. And that's it. It was created for him. It was not really created for people, for human. But because human brought the curse was brought upon them until they would break that curse that's where they would end up in revelations 21 and 8 it says that the fearful and the abominable the murderers the whoremongers the sorcerers the idolaters liars the ungodly men the unrighteous they are all there they're all there another thing it says in Revelation 20 and 10, that it is eternal. It lasts forever. It doesn't go away. The Bible calls it the second death, but yet it's really, it, it's, it's always there. So what is not in hell? And this excites me. I get excited when I think about what is not in hell, really. Or, I'm sorry. I get excited about what is not in heaven. I'm getting ahead of myself. So what is not in heaven? In hell, we've already talked about it. There's no water. There's no food. And I'm going to tell you, for all these kids who say, oh, it's going to be a good time in hell, there's no Budweiser in hell. It's not Miller time in hell. There's no party in hell. And I'll tell you something else. Just because you think your buddies are going there, the crowd is not going to make it any more comfortable. It's not going to make it any better, any more easy to get, get by. It's not no big drug fest. There'll be no drugs there. There's no bottom to it. You're constantly falling. Nothing to grab a hold of. We talked about there's no names there. Not with God. No names. One last thing I'll say that there is not in heaven. You see right above that door, what's that say? Exit. Right above that door. Today, you can exit. In hell, there's no exit. No way out. It is final. 
It is final. So let's look at heaven. This is what I was saying. It gets me excited. What is in heaven? Well, God, Jesus. We know Jesus is in heaven. We've already talked about that. Revelation 5.11, the angels are in heaven. We read all, all, all through the scriptures. Angels are in heaven. The throne is in heaven. The white throne is in heaven. The new Jerusalem is in heaven. This new Jerusalem, it gives a, a grand description of the, the new Jerusalem. It's like 1,200 miles long, 1,200 miles wide. It's, it's just huge. Uh, it says that there'll be white garments there, a pure river of water, a pure river of water. The tree of life is in heaven. We, we often talk about streets of gold. We talk about the worship that we read about in heaven. Worship is continually around the throne in heaven. So worship is in heaven. The 24 elders, it says, are in heaven. The holy brethren are in heaven, it says. And that is in Revelation. You can find that. Revelation 20, verse 6. Hebrews 3, 1. 1 Peter 1, 16. Genesis 5, 24 says that Enoch is in heaven. You know, Enoch, he just was no more. He didn't die. He wasn't buried. It says that he just was no more. He was a godly man. We know that Moses is in heaven and Elijah. How do we know that? Because when Peter, James, and John went with Jesus to the mount, they seen Moses and Elijah come down from heaven and, and, sit, and they talked with Jesus. And then they went back. So those are some people in heaven. Another person, one last person that we, we know is in heaven from this story, we know now that Lazarus is in heaven. Praise God. And, I can, and these are, I'm telling you, ones who are written in here. I believe there is many saints of God dancing around the throne right now. Dancing around the throne. They were carried by the angels unto heaven. So what is not in heaven? Well, there's no Satan, no demons. We don't have the influence of all that attacking us every day. There is no curse. No, no curse of death. You see, God created man to live. He created Adam to live. It's because of Adam's sin, his iniquity. That's why we have the curse of death. That will be gone. That will be gone. There is no darkness. No darkness in heaven. The sun, and there'll be no sun and no moon, but yet there's no darkness. And that's because it says Jesus gives the light. He is the light. There's no candles. There's no pain. If you've got pain today, just wait till you get to heaven. There'll be no more pain. No more pain. There's no more crying, no more tears, no more sorrow. Brother Lucas, you're going to like this one. There's no more wheelchairs. No wheelchairs in heaven. You'll have a new body. There's going to be no doctors, no hospitals, no lawyers. Praise God. And I am sorry to inform you of this one, Brandon. There's not going to be any cars. 
I don't believe there's going to be any cars. You might say, well, how are we going to get around? I find, I found this one very interesting. That's a good answer. This is a very, you, we can read what, what how, how did Jesus get around? How does he get around? When he, when he went to heaven, it says he rode on a cloud. And when he comes back, it says he will ride on a cloud. I believe we ride on clouds. I believe we'll have our own personal cloud. Amen. I, that's just my belief. That's not necessarily in there. But it does say that Jesus rides on a cloud. And if he rides on a cloud and I'm going to be like him, I think I'm going to ride on a cloud. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to claim it anyhow. Amen. Amen. So them are some things that are in heaven and hell. Back to our story real quick. Trying to hurry. Verse 25. But Abraham said, Son, remember thou in thy lifetime receivest good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. So now the tables turn. And Abraham, again, Abraham, he's speaking to the rich man, and he calls him son. Again, we know he's a Jew. We know he is one of the Israelites because right there, he called him son. He wouldn't call anyone son unless they were of his family. And also in that that scripture, we can read and, and prove right there that this story is a true story. It is a true story because it says that he was a Jew and that he he knew Abraham. So because he knows Abraham, we know that 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 it happened and that it happened back then at the time of Abraham. Now, it says in verse 26, And besides all this, between us and you, there is a gulf fixed. But they, but that they which would pass from hence to, that, to you cannot, neither can they pass to us. That would come from thence. So in other words, there is a gulf fixed. There is, there is no way to get from heaven to hell. Not that you would ever want to anyhow. Nor can you go from hell to heaven. In the first place, you can't even exit hell. But you can't, you can't go there. But you can see heaven, I believe. Because he looked up and seen Lazarus. Verse 27. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. The rich young man, or the rich man, I, want to, I always want to call him young man. But the rich man, it says that he, he tells Abraham, well then send, send Lazarus to my father's house. Send him to tell them what it's like. Please do that. Verse 28. For I have five brethren that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. So, so we have to see here, he is desperately asking Abraham, Abraham, send Lazarus, send him back from the dead 
to go and to minister to my brethren, to, to my father's house, that they would not come in and, and be tormented like I am. In verse 29, Abraham saith unto him, they have Moses and the prophets. You see, this happened in the time of Moses when he died. They have Moses and the prophets. In other words, they have your brothers. They have preachers. They have somebody teaching them. They can make up their decision. They have Moses and the prophets. Verse 30. And he said, nay. The rich man says, no, Father Abraham. He pleads with him. But if one went from the dead, if, if you would send Lazarus from the dead, it would be like a, a supernatural thing. It would get their attention. Then they will repent. Then they will repent. In verse 31, the last verse of the story, it says, And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Even with a supernatural thing, they're not going to be persuaded. That's the end of the story of the rich young man, or the rich man and Lazarus. But we see them in hell. You see, heaven and hell are real. The Bible talks about it all over. I have to make heaven. I do not want to be in torment. I tell you, if, if any of us could get a, it would have a dream or a vision of what it's really like. I, I, I vaguely can remember a, a dream I had years ago. I was actually at church camp and uh, I had we actually just went for one service, spent the night, and then we went somewhere on vacation or something. And that night, I had a vision, and it was, it was I believe it was a vision of some things going on in hell. And it scared me. I mean, it was like it happened. It, it woke me. I tell you, it changed me. It did. But I have to make heaven. I have to go to extreme measures if I have to. Mark. 943 tells of the story of if thy right hand offends thee, cut it off. Do whatever it takes, people. Whatever it takes. I don't care how extreme it is. If you have to get rid of the TV, if you have to get rid of your cell phone because you get on things that you shouldn't be on, if you have to get rid of your computer, you better do it. If you have to give up your job, if it's keeping you from getting to church and staying faithful, if, it, if your job is... There's people there that influence you that you shouldn't be around. You might have to give up your friends. You might have to be extreme, but you better do whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. <laughs> Revelations 20 and verse 15 says, And whatsoever and whosoever was not found written. This was the last verse of this scene in heaven. Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So that tells me that my name in this book of life, it better be there. It had better be there. 
That scripture right there says, if it's not there, then I am heading for hell. So it is the, the most important thing in your life to make sure your name is in that book. How? You might ask, how do I get my name in the book? How do I get my name in there? Revelations 3, 5. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book, but I will confess his name before my Father and before the angels. So he will not blot out your name if you overcome the iniquity that surrounds you. If you overcome the iniquity in your life and take care of it, then your name will be written in the book. Sin is what blots out your name, people. Sin must be removed. But I've got good news. Good news. There is a gospel. There is a hope. A hope of of being able to do that. How can I get rid of my sin? There is no way to have gotten rid of your sin until Jesus went to Calvary. Jesus paid. Jesus paid the price for our sin. We don't have to pay that price of a physical death. We don't have to. So I want to go to 1 Corinthians 15, 1 1 through 4, and just read this real quick, because this tells us exactly what the gospel is. It says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I also preached unto you, which also ye have received, wherein ye stand. Verse 2, but which also ye are saved. If I keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. Verse 3 now. For I delivered unto you first all that which I had also received, how that Christ died for our sins. That was the price he paid. And I'm going to tell you, he paid an awful price. It was an awful death. According to the scriptures. Verse 4. And he that was buried. Jesus was buried. And that he rose again the third day. According to the scripture. This is the account of the gospel. This is spelling out exactly what the gospel is. You see. Christ. Christ. Paid that price. He was. He died for our sins. He was buried, and he rose the third day. So, because he paid that price for us, does that mean that my sins are just automatically taken away? Well, it means that that they can be. It absolutely does. It means, in other words, what he did, he broke that curse of death. He broke the curse when he rose. It, that curse really was not broke just because he died. It's because he not only did he die, he was buried. And then he raised from the dead on his own power. That is what broke the curse. And he is the only one that's ever done it. Muhammad never did that. No other gods to these little gods, to these different people did that. Only Jesus did that. So the gospel, let's go to Romans 6, 3 through 5. And I'm, I'm sorry, I'm trying to hurry. God 
God wants to talk to us. He wants, to, wants us to, to really examine ourselves. He wants to take our sins away. In Romans 6, 3 through 5, it says, Know ye not that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus, were baptized into his death. And let's go ahead and let's read verse 4 here. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. You see, there's one more, let's read one more verse. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. This is how we apply that gospel message. You see, we... We, we have to die like Christ died. And how do we do that? How do we associate our lives, our physical life, with Christ in his death? It's by repentance. We repent. We die to our nature, our carnal nature. We die to the things that we want, the pleasures that we want, the things that keep us from God. We die from the sin in our life. And then... We are buried just as Jesus was buried. It says we are buried into, unto him in baptism. We have water right here. You can be baptized today, washing away your sins. That's the only thing baptism is for, is for the removing of your sin. That ba- getting baptized here today doesn't make you necessarily a member of New Life Church, Apostolic Church. It doesn't, it's, that's not what it takes to be a member. That removes your sin. If you haven't been baptized yet, you better you better pray about it and make the decision to get baptized. Brother Josh, Brother Caleb, them qualified men, they will baptize you today. And then it says he rose the third day. That is what that is what broke the curse. And we can we can rise with Christ when we receive his spirit. When we receive his spirit, now we have the power to overcome. We have the power to, to walk in the newness of life. So you might say, well, what if I don't obey the gospel? Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 9. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 9 says, and to you all, to, and to To you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Talking about coming back from heaven. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of of his power. So they will be there will be judgment brought on those who do not obey the gospel. We all will be judged. But I will say to you, exit while you can. Because when you get to hell, there is no exit. Exit while you can. Exit while you can. Don't delay. Exit while you can. See, you can live however you want. You can never apply that gospel to your life. But I tell you what, you will stand before that throne. 
You will stand before the throne of God. Before the white throne judgment. If you never apply that gospel to your life, you are in great danger. I am not the judge. And I'm not trying to judge anyone. And I didn't know who was going to be here, so don't think that, that you knew you, I was, you were going to be here. That I knew you were going to be here, and I'm just picking on you. I had no idea. I, God gave me this a couple weeks ago. So you, you will come. You see, we go back to that, let's go back to that verse, Revelations 20, verses 11 and 12, gives a description. Revelations 20, 11, and 12 says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great. Brother Bill, would you mind coming up here? Just stand right here. You know, this might not be talking necessarily about a great stature, but we have a man of great stature, too. And I believe he's a great man. Brody, could you come up here and stand beside Brother Bill? You see, it says every man will stand before this judgment, great and small. Every one of us, not anyone's going to be exempt. President of our country is not going to be exempt. Our pastor will not be exempt to stand before God. You're going to stand before him somewhere, someday. And if it happens at the white throne judgment, this is what you're going to see. When you stand before him, the judge will open up those books. He will look through those books. He will look at the book. It says that one of those books basically is the book of your life. He will look through there to see where your section is. It says what you have done. It will talk about every little detail of your life. And then he will turn and he will look here in this white book, the Lamb's Book of Life, to see if your name's there. And if your name is not there, because it has been blotted out. You see, I believe everybody's name originally was there. Sin, iniquity, blotted out those names. Took them away. God don't even know you anymore. He doesn't even know you. I never knew you. He'll judge the, he'll judge the small too. Nobody escapes it. Every one of us, every one of us are going to be judged sometime. So you can either wait until the white throne judgment and wait for your demise. Your demise. And God, don't let anyone in this sanctuary today go to hell. Because in hell there is no exit. There's no way out. There's no turning around. There's no being so sorry that 
God has enough mercy because at that point, it is too late. Your eternity is set. People, your name in that book is the most important thing in your life. The most important thing. I want to ask my wife to come up here. God gave me this just yesterday. How to end this message. Honey, if you could just stand over here. And it says that we can either receive our judgment now while we have a chance. Or we can receive it at the white throne judgment. You see, at the white throne judgment, what he's doing is really he's judging what is called the righteous. What God calls the righteous. This was, this was a re- revelation to me. Because I always just thought, you know, everybody's going to stand there. But it says that the, the saints of God, they sit on thrones behind him right here. They, they stand up here at the judgment, judging the world, the quick and the dead, with Christ. And you might think, how, how can that be? So, so what they're judging is those righteous, people who are righteous. In the Old Testament, it often talked about this was a righteous man. You know, maybe he wasn't a Jew even, but he was a righteous man, a just man. Today, we all have questions about family that, you know, you're like, they are good people. And I don't know, I am not going to judge them. But I can tell you, I know how they can be the bride of Christ. I know how they can do this. I don't know what's going to happen with all those who, who don't follow that gospel message, the specific message of God. This gospel message is what the apostles taught in the first century, the second century. And then in the third century, it got all distorted. It got all mixed up, changed all. That's why we have 10 billion different religions in the world. It started, it's, there's one religion, one belief, one, one baptism, one faith. So I said... You can receive your judgment now. You ask how? By accepting the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, up until my wife, I'm, I'm, I'm using her example because I know her life. I don't know. I'm, I didn't meet her until she was 18. I'll probably get in trouble for using her for an example. But nonetheless... If she were, would have died before she came to Christ, she would have stood at that same spot. And, she, and the books would be open, and, and he would begin to read the accounts of her life, the works of her life. He might, he might look at and read, well, Michelle... When you were 10 years old, you lied. And you know what? We're, we're, we're judging you by the books. This Bible is the law. It is the law that you will be judged by. This is what we are judged by. 
Just the same as really in our, our, the laws of our land, when, when you go to court, the judge doesn't just have an opinion. He's not supposed to. He's supposed to judge you by the law, the books. Same thing he's doing. But you lied, and it says liars go to hell. He might say, when you were 11, you stole. You, you went to that grocery store and you stole something. You stole a loaf of bread. You know where liars go? When you were 13, you started cursing. And you cursed my name. When you were 15, you started to harm your body. Start smoking. I don't know. You never told me, but you maybe even did drugs. I don't know. It harmed your body. My word says, take care of your body. Honor it to God. But you see, when she was 18 years old, she came to a church invited by her cousin. She came to a church, just like you came to a church today. And she felt something different. And she came actually to, there was a, there was a, a Christian group that was singing, had a, had a concert called David and the Giants. Some of you old people might, might know who I'm talking about. David and the Giants. And for the first time in her life, she knew who God really was. You see, she grew up. I'll just say in the Roman church. She grew up in that church that she didn't even know Jesus was coming back. Well, it might be because they might not even preach it anymore. I don't know. But you see, not only did she feel God and she understand that there is a God and believe that he is, it says that the devils believe and tremble. And I'm telling you what, the devils, just because they believe that he is God, that doesn't mean they are going to be in heaven. So be careful what you believe. Search it out. No. She sought God. She sought God. What do I have to do to get saved? What do I have to do to... to apply this gospel. See, it's real simple. She got on her knees and she, she cried out to God. I was there that night. It took her, I don't know, I don't remember, a few weeks, I think, that she prayed, tarried for God. She got baptized. She was sorry for what she did. So she got baptized. God took her sins away, baptized in his name. She applied his name to her life. No longer is she just, at that time, Michelle Hess. It was Michelle Hess. Jesus. He put his stamp. I find it really interesting that there is scriptures that actually talk about he will place his name on you. Place his name on you. I believe he does that at baptism. And then she's 
She just worshipped him and thanked him. And you know what he did? He gave her a gift. He, he, he took his own spirit, the same spirit that he had, and he filled her up. And now she has got the liberty to, have, to use that spirit, and it guides and it directs her. It helps her overcome the iniquities of this world, the temptations. You see, I, I know this. I know this woman. If there's something in her life that would draw her away and keep her from making heaven, she would get rid of it. It doesn't matter what it was. She would pay that price. So I'm sorry I've kept you so long. But I want to open up an invitation to you today. If the music will come. Open up a, a chance for you. To exit hell. Because that is, if, if we have sin in our lives, people, you might think, oh, I've got many years. You tell that to them two boys in Prairie High School. I believe the one was 14, the other one's 16. Taken from this life. I don't know them. I'm not going to judge their. I don't really know them. But they're going to probably stand before this judgment. You can take care of your judgment today. Make it sure. Make sure I'm not in torment forever and ever. Get a name change. That name change means everything in the world. So I want to open up. Allow our worship team to sing. While they sing, could you make your way to the altar if you could? Maybe stand before this this judgment. Because if you get a touch of it now, you might you might understand. It's real. It's gonna happen, people. It's gonna happen. God help our people. Don't let one person from here leave today without your spirit. Not one person leave without being baptized in Jesus' name. Get it taken care of today, people. Don't waste any time. Don't blame your